my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> Okay, hey guys, it's been a little bit since we've been uh, had a podcast, but uh, duck season's over for us and closing quick for some others, and so thought we better hop back on here, talk a little bit about duck hunting, duck season, and and more. Today we got with us Robert Easton and Kevin Keene from Mossy Oak Properties Delta Land Management. Um, great guys from Arkansas, and uh, we're really excited to have them on. Thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking us to join. We're we're excited to do this. We appreciate it. Uh, I know when I go down to Arkansas, I've done some work for Robert and uh, every time that I go down there hunting or working, it's just cool. Uh, it's cool territory. I, I know me and you have talked about how cool that habitat and area is a lot of times before. Well, I just love driving around in Arkansas because, uh, you know, the amount of habitat that's on the landscape down there is just unbelievable. And, and the variety of habitat from, uh, you know, just all kinds of sloughs and slashes to rivers and river bottoms and ag and, and managed areas and WRP. You know, they just have so much of it on such a broad scale compared to Missouri, where it's like very, very focal. And I'm sure that there's times where that's a good thing. And I'm sure there's times where that's a bad thing. But if you're a if you're a waterfowl and waterfowl management nerd, uh, it's a pretty cool place to go and check out. Robert, yeah, I think it's re real interesting. One thing, I don't know how much you guys have noticed, but I grew up in northeast Arkansas up around Jonesboro, hunting the Black River, uh, Corning, Brookings, Della Plain, that area. And you talk about habitat. Our Robert has heard me. He's sick of, of hearing me say this. But I noticed as a kid and as a wildlife biologist, I've noticed this over the years. But as a kid, every ditch has now been mopped. There's no trees on ditches. All the fields are precision level. There's no low swags. You get north of 40, again, up there around Jonesboro and closer to Missouri, you know, sloughs have been drained. You get south of 40, Stuttgart, um, you know, around Desar, College Grove, just basically the 40 corridor and south. You still see a lot of that habitat you're talking about, still a lot of slashes and sloughs and some rougher fields and that kind of thing. Now, my buddies in Northeast Arkansas this year have done pretty well, but overall, it seems like it's really struggled a lot. And I think that is because of, look, I love farmers, a lot of my good friends, but I think over time, just a little bit of that habitat has been uh, diminished if we're looking at it through a duck's eyeballs. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. up here, the only thing that's kept some of our, you know, and that's like I was talking about, it's so much different up here because it's, it's refuge centered and you guys have got duck habitat everywhere. We've got duck hunting in, in and around the river bottoms by, by some refuge systems that we have because everything has been farmed everything and the only thing keeping some of our ag from being farmed is ducks i mean around the refuges you know it's the same thing it's the ground's worked as soon as the crop comes off if they can the only folks that are that are leaving stuff are the ones that are putting water on it so it's you know and and even even that said you know you could build some awesome habitat but there's something to be said for that natural i don't know something the ducks just gravitate towards down there obviously up here too there's just so much fewer of it up here that seems like those spots definitely shine but kevin that's a good point you know the more stuff we drain and the more habitat we remove we can't be surprised whenever stuff changes nash buckingham's book where he talks about you know back in the day when it was all just you know timber back then and then they came in with all the drag lines and all the different things and basically just clear cut everything where it was ditches and you know it's hard in today's world to drive through there and imagine what it must have been like before but it is what it is you know hopefully we can use some of our uh, tax dollars to uh, continue to rehab some of that farm ground into stuff that's more duck friendly instead of spending it all on uh, open borders and uh, welfare and uh, homeless people. I love the homeless, Joe. Love the homeless. This is the second. This is the second. Put that disclaimer in there. This is the second time Ira in the last two months has made a negative comment about homeless. So if you are homeless listening to this, I apologize. I don't know how you're listening to this, but if you are, uh, I apologize. And Ira's got plenty of room for you at his place. Well, <laughs> kind of like snow geese. I mean, at some point you got to have a conservation, something or other to keep their numbers in check. I mean, geez, oh, Pete. We were somewhere <laughs> and I said, what about, I said, well, 
thing you got to think about the homeless. I'm not worried about the homeless. I was like, God dang. I mean, I, whether you're worried or not about the homeless, I feel like you got to say you're worried about the homeless. Just like you got to say Merry Christmas. I, or not you care. Yeah, I'm pushing your buttons. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you this, whoever's homeless, we can send them plenty of duct tape. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. Absolutely. So, so let's go. Um, we got a little ahead of ourselves there, but Robert, <laughs> you guys obviously are real estate agents, but but there's a quite a bit there's quite a bit um, different about what you guys do than just list farms and sell them. There's also a whole other side to your business, and you know a lot of this podcast we like to talk about you know not only not only business but different different types of businesses, and you like to see how those work and how people have had success. So I want to get in first. Why don't you guys describe? what you do with Mossy Oak Properties and then also with the Delta Land Management and kind of the, the different facets of your business. Okay. Uh, I'll start with that. So we, uh, we started Delta Land Management Company in about 03. And uh, it was strictly due to the fact that we had a farmer go bankrupt and we had to take over his operation just so we wouldn't, we wouldn't, you know, miss a crop year on our own farms. Uh, so after we did that, um, we kind of took on the idea of managing a few other properties. And in Arkansas, you have to have a real estate license to, you know, manage farm properties or, or property in general for folks. So we ended up getting real estate licenses. Uh, at this same time, uh, we were running a guiding operation and uh, Mossy Oak camo guys were coming down and, and uh, video and hunts and they basically told us about the Mossy Oak Properties thing, and we joined in about 05, I believe, is when we joined with Mossy Oak. Um, but, I mean, the the foundation of our business was, you know, management, farmland management. I mean, we, we've bought and sold properties um, in the past, and we had more of a focus of hunting on them. Um, so, but, you know, we, we, we made sure we bought a farm that, had like a three-legged stool if you will you know you want you want good great hunting but you know it's nice for it to pay for itself or or pay for expenses and so forth so we've always found a farm that you know was a recreational farm that we could develop you know similar to what y'all have done up in Missouri so uh, but anyways just long story short you know we, we've got uh, we've been in business for you know almost 20 years now uh, we you know, our bread and butter is buying and selling, uh, hunting and farm properties. Uh, but we also manage, manage farms and recreational properties for folks as well. Been a hell of a run last 15 years, hasn't it? It has. It has. It feels like you can't do anything wrong. So we're going to see who, who wins going forward. <laughs> you know, yesterday I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how the, uh, vehicle market, and and also about the uh, the residential real estate market, you know how things have gotten so crazy the last few years, the last couple of years, and how you know there's going to be all of these vehicles coming back into the market, and you know I know that there's some inventory concerns and and shortages on the residential real estate side, but you know the people that know the game are saying, hey man, prices are going to come down on on these items for a multitude of reasons. I mean, do you think it will ever slow down or revert back to some sort of an 80s type situation where, you know, it's not just a straight line going up and up and up? I know that's a, a big question that nobody really knows the answer to, but um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I certainly believe that we're closer to an 80s situation than we have been. I don't know that it's going to be quite as drastic as that. Um, but I mean, every smart person you talk to in any kind of market says that we're due for correction. Um, so, I mean, we, we certainly do believe that we're going to see a correction of some sort. Just don't know what that's going to be. Um, we're already seeing a slowdown currently and most market corrections take, you know, 12 to 24 months to really play out. So I, I feel like we're in the beginning of stages of that just due to our current activities. Um, you know, our large farms and large duck hunting properties have not slowed down just due to the amount of cash that's available, the amount of people that have businesses they've sold and they're doing 1031 exchanges. Uh, so that's not really a good key indicator, but 
the uh, the small properties that we handle, you know, small 100-acre places, 200-acre places, basically anything under a million dollars has pretty well gone to zero in the last two or three months. You know, one thing about the 80s that, that I think about, like up here in our properties and stuff, everyone's like, you know, the 80s, the 80s, the 80s, which I understand. But one thing that folks weren't as worried about in the 80s, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's just... We're talking when the eighties, we were talking mostly about farmers and their land, you know, farmers losing land, farmers paying high interest, farmers not being able to afford stuff. But the thing is now there's, when a farm comes up, there's so many more people than farmers that are interested in it now. And, you know, good duck hunting is one of those things that kind of makes a farm recession proof at times. Obviously that's, I, you know, I, I, that's probably not the right terminology, but as long as the, the recreation is good and there is some return, for some of these guys, the numbers don't have to make as much sense as what they did for farmers back in the eighties. Oh, I, I'd agree with that a hundred percent. Um, you know, and, and what we have, what we have seen even back, you know, eighties or even the early two thousands, when we had a correction in 08, 09, the larger farms, you know, didn't really go down in value. They just didn't sell. They sat there. Those people have enough liquidity to just sit on it. And so I think you may see a, a pretty good opportunity to pick up some smaller tracks of, you know, recreational style farms. But, uh, you know, these large farms and, uh, you know, notable hunting clubs and properties like that are, they're not going to see such a, you know, such a change. Now, we may just see the activity and the um, transactions, you know, amounts go down, but I don't think you're going to see really a correction in those properties like you would some of these other smaller, you know, smaller tracks. Robert, one thing Joe and I have noticed here um, is that, you know, if you're watching an online brokerage like uh, Landwash or any of those, you know, shoot up until the last two or three years, there was always multiple pages of listings that were available. And now you can't even finally hard, hardly find a, one or two listings. Are you guys seeing that down there as well? Yeah, our our biggest issue right now is, is finding good listings. Um, I, we're starting to see our smaller properties build up. Um, we're, we're building some inventory on those, but the, the great duck hunting places, the really nice farms that we come up with, usually we can sell them in two or three phone calls still. Kevin, how long have you been working um, with Robert? I've been here nine years now. Nine years. I'll not leave unless he shows me out the door. And what? And when did you? When did you? When did? Or what were you doing before you started working with him? Um, so I had a little bit of a mix. So I, uh, I had grew up a guy that was just like a dad to me, Chuck Long. He was a regional education coordinator for the Game and Fish Commission. I started hunting with him. I was probably in the sixth grade. And from that time forward, I said, that's the job I want right there. All I did was travel, talk to people, um, had time to hunt, that kind of thing. So that was what I wanted to do. Uh, I did that. I worked at Game and Fish for a year. Um, it just wasn't going to work out for me for a lot of reasons we won't cover in this podcast. Um, did a short stint at a family business. Um, and again, I'm a biologist by education and um my, uh, my wife knew Robert from high school, reached out. I said, there's not a chance they need a biologist in that office, but what the heck, I'll go talk to them. And here we are nine years. So, Robert, what, as a business owner, how, not just Kevin specifically, but obviously he's a key part of your business, but what, how, how, how hard has it been or have you been fortunate rather how has it been staffing your agency with quality folks? Have you been able to do that? Have you struggled to do that? And and what do those guys kind of help with your network? How, how does that kind of – do you still do most of it yourself, Robert, or do you feel like your team can handle a lot of what comes your all's way? No, we, we have continued to keep a small crew of, of folks in our office. Um, most, uh, most real estate firms seem to have a different model than we do. I mean, we try to – uh, we try to really pick quality people uh, as opposed to quantity. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worked well for us. Uh, me as a broker, I, I like the brokerage part of it. I like the management part of it, but I also like to sell. Um, and so it allows me time to sell myself, not having to worry about what somebody else in my office is doing. 
uh, we try to keep a, a small team-like feel, and uh, and it's really worked for us. Uh, one of the, you know, the number one things I have done as we've tried to, you know, maintain or, or get a little bit bigger is just to put agents specialized in different parts of the state so we're not stepping on each other's toes. So currently, you know, I have somebody in Northeast, Northwest, and uh, Southeast and Southwest, as well as a couple here in Central Arkansas. And, um, you know, uh, we, we work as a team and there's enough business to go around without us all fighting over, you know, the same listings. So that's, that's the way we've operated. It's worked really well. Um, you know, we maintain being a, one of the number one or top five uh, land guys in, in, in Arkansas as, you know, so it, if it didn't broke, don't fix it. So we're going to keep on doing what we're doing. Robert, I was just curious, you'd made a statement about, uh, you know, business income from recently sold uh, business sales uh, with all the cash spent available, um, being able to be, you know, take those business proceeds and rolling those into the like kind exchange on real estate. And in my mind, uh, I, I'm just not that familiar with that. Is that something that generally would take like a 1031 uh, tax attorney or is that something that you see quite a bit? Well, uh, you know, specifically most businesses that, that we've come across, I mean, folks are, you know, will have some sort of real estate. So they're, they're able to 1031 that real estate amount, you know, into a farm or, or something, you know, something like that. Now, as far as their actual business sale, um, I'm sure there's some sort of, uh, tax advantages or things you could do with that, but that would not, based off my knowledge, that would not directly qualify for a 1031. But I do feel like some of the guys we've dealt with, they'll they'll put a lot of their income or their proceeds towards, you know, their buildings or, you know, real estate, you know, as opposed to the actual business itself. Yeah, I can wrap my head around that. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So, Robert, you also have, um, I know that you also have some property there in the Holly Grove area. Um, if I've spent a decent time amount of time hunting down there, Ira, I know you have there by, it's by East Lake, you know, and everything there. So, uh, talk a little bit about your own property, Robert. And then how did you guys, you don't have to give us all your secrets, but is that something that you guys have had for a long time? Is that something that you purchased and how did you kind of put it together? So, uh, our real estate that there that you're specifically talking to in Holly Grove was a property. So back in, I guess about, oh, I don't know, uh, 15, 20 years ago, we had, uh, we have a partner that, uh, you know, buys and sells stuff with us. And uh, we have, you know, we had flipped several properties uh, prior to what we have there. Uh, but that, that business really started with my dad, and his partner, and they had bought a couple tracks and then just kept flipping them and flipping them and flipping them. And then we ended up with what we have now. But every, every time we made a flip, it has always been on a farm that was, you know, more of a recreational style farm, uh, not just a straight row crop farm. Just, you know, since, since, since we've been in business, we've always been able to track that waterfowl properties have have always outproduced just a straight up row crop farm or a deer hunting farm in this area. So uh, having something with that waterfowl aspect has always appreciated more over the last 20 years that we've been paying attention to it uh, and probably will for, for a long time. So, uh, but speaking about our property there in Holly Grove, Monroe County area, you know, we've been more on a buy a buy and hold case there. We kind of put down roots and uh, over the last 10 or 15 years, we've been just buying other tracks up, you know, up and down around us um, and, and, and buying and hold. Uh, we did put uh, half of that farm into WRP to uh, further enhance our waterfowl um, potential. And, we, you know, we've continued to make that farm, I'm going to call it a, you know, just a showcase farm for our, for our business and what we do. Um, you can go there and you'll see, you know, we've got about 400 acres of precision level farm ground that's, you know, as good as any other farm dirt out there. And then we also have uh, flooded timber, 
uh, moist soil units that are managed uh, by us. And then we also have a 40 acre grass area that, that we, uh, you know, burn every couple of years. And Kevin's pretty key on, on that development um, of that. So um, anyways, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have bought and sold a few other tracks over the last 10 years. Um, but for the most part on that farm there, Aaron Holly Grove, we, we've been just a buy and hold uh, phase for the last few years. And what's the hunting like there? I mean, are you mostly hunting? Um, do you have, are you hunting flooded, flooded crops? Or are you hunting in the edge of the woods? You hunt in the woods. How is your hunting set up there? So it's a little both. Um, me and Kevin are, you know, typically the guys we hunt with day in and day out, we're going to try to hunt them in the woods. Um, you know, it's more of a slough style setting of timber, um, you know, more cypress and tupelo. Um, and then when the, uh, when the river floods out, we'll, we'll get into the bigger hardwood, you know, uh, oak trees and that kind of stuff. Um, but we do have, uh, so that farm, we've got a, about an 18 acre cornfield that we flood, uh, that is not harvested. And then we have another, I don't know, maybe 20 acres or so that's just a moist soil unit, uh, you know, managed. So we just, you know, draw down the water and add, you know, we might add some millet and rice to it, but for the most part, it's moist soil managed. But what we like to do is, is rest that farm uh, most of December. Uh, typically don't have water on it until December and then um, hunt it mostly in January. That Holly Grove area is, is, dynamite during the month of January. Um, I don't know, you know, we could go, we could talk for hours on our theories, but you know, that, that particular farm and that particular area for whatever reason is just better in January. I've got a farm north, north of there that I manage, uh, uh, for a, for a, a family that's, it's dynamite all year long, but that farm there for whatever reason, no matter what we do to it, it's just dynamite in, in, in January, which works out great because you know we we manage it for deer also and we kill some really nice whitetail so usually get that out of our system by january man robert i don't know if you remember but uh maybe five years ago or so i contacted you about a piece you had listed there just east of holly grove man it was a really nice looking spot on the south side of the blacktop there and I uh, drug my feet for a day or two and dug on if someone didn't put a contract on that. But I mean, it worked on the number side and I knew the area was in a great location and uh, still kick myself a little bit about that. But, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it's not by itself. There's a whole bunch of properties that I didn't buy through my lifetime that I kicked myself about. So, yeah, that that's always if we always had the glass. uh the glass globe to see what what would happen in the future. You know, we would have bought a lot more 20 years ago than what we did, but it, it just about everything we've seen would have made money over that period of time. Yeah. Just it's, you know, you hear people say that and I, I've said it too, even a little that I could have done that I didn't do. Hadn't been a whole lot about anything I could do. I have done and that ain't been much, but you know, you look at some of these folks and you're like, man, how did they let that go? And, and how did they not do it? Sometimes you got to put yourself back 20 years ago, though. Sometimes you just didn't have the money to do it. You might've known it was a good deal. And, and, you know, you might've drug, I'm not saying you in your case, Ira, but sometimes when you're dragging your feet, it's because you don't know if you can afford it. And then by the time you figure out that you can and crunch every number, it just doesn't work. And that's why, you know, that's why nobody did it back then. You know, I mean, the, some people did, but they made money doing other stuff, you know, there's a guy here in this area that always told me, he said, you know, there's times to make money in land and there's always, you all, you can always make money in land. It just depends on whether you can buy it or not. There's been certain time periods where the average Joe has been able to afford to buy that land that, that appreciated. And, you know, right now we're in a time where it's kind of hard, unless you own land, it's kind of hard to buy land, which is crazy, but it's kind of, it's kind of that way. Yeah. I, I think having little knowledge of what the market has done over the last 15 years. If I had less knowledge, I would have invested more, if that makes any sense. Because I grew up watching folks buy farmland for, you know, 500 to 1500 an acre. And now, if I, you know, if I found a, 
you know, a landlocked tract in the mountains for that price, I'd be excited about it. So, uh, you know, now uh, everything's so expensive, it makes it, you know, you really have to think about things a lot more than you did, say, 15 years ago. Uh, but, you know, now we all have calculated risk. We're all financially in a better spot than we were 15 or 20 years ago. So it's a lot easier to make these decisions now. Uh, you know, and even even if the market does correct, like we spoke about earlier, um, if you you know if you put a substantial amount of cash or you pay for it in cash, I mean the income part of it shouldn't change as much as it might uh, in another asset class. So I, I just feel like land may go down some in value, but it, it's not gonna it's not gonna correct to a point where it doesn't make sense anymore. I mean we're still gonna have that cash income on the farmland no matter what. 100%. And there's, you know, there's several factors in place that are going to keep that where it's at. Uh, not not that they're going to, not that it won't fluctuate, but there are some fail safes built in now that there wasn't back whenever land was $500 an acre, you know? Sure, sure. What do you, what do you see, Robert? Um, what do you see mostly, and Kevin, both of you, what's the economics of farm renting and like the, the rent slash crop share method down there. What is, what is ground rent for? Is there much cash rent in your area and, and, or, or what's the most common type of way that, that things are done? Most, uh, most farm tracks over the last 10 years has been in more of a crop share. Um, you know, usually a 75, 25 or, uh, you know, somewhere between there and an 80, 20 has been normal over the last 10 or 12 years. Uh, as things progress and insurance programs change with the USDA, and quite frankly, a lot more landowners are more wealthy and they're they're bypass they're they're surpassing that nine hundred thousand dollar income threshold. Uh, that has changed the way a lot of people are leasing their farms out now. So, uh, a lot more people are going towards a flex rent, which is you know. You got a cash rent minimum plus the 80-20 or 75-25, you know, that'll come in as a bonus. So a lot a lot more rent structures are, are being structured like a flex rent. Um, and there are some cash rents. And uh, the, the, the amounts of, you know, cash rent changes so much from Northeast Arkansas down to where we are. I'm going to say that in, in that uh, central Delta area, um, you know, 150 is probably pretty common now. Um, if you go far northeast Arkansas and you get into some of those, uh, you know, giant, you know, investment style farms, you know, you can get 200, 225 or better cash rents on those. Um, so it just really depends on where you're at. Um, and, and anyways, it's just different no matter where you're at in the state. For sure. For sure. So Robert, you guys and, and Joe can probably – uh ask this question better than me but uh when you guys are putting together a proposal for someone that's looking to sell and you're you're thinking of values for both sides i mean what's kind of your target rate of return um as far as uh income um, on as opposed to uh the the total expense on a piece of ground three uh the well, last can, couple years can you can, well, i was just gonna say on some of your farms, can you even do that with them being such high percentage of recreational? Well, the recreational farms don't really look at a return per se. They may calculate their expenses and base their their income off their expenses. But you know, if we're looking at more of a, a an investment grade farm or a, you know something like that, three percent seems to be a, an average or a normal rate of return that most guys are looking for. Um, you know, it's it's been as high as five or six in the past, but right now most farms are sold on a three percent, you know, return. Um, I've seen some lower and seen some higher. It just depends on who you're dealing with. But but the guys I would consider the smart guys in this in this business, three percent is what they're looking for. On the Joe, that sounds pretty similar number to what we see here, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, obviously with the you know, with some of our ground is, is going for, we had a piece sell there by Boonville that went for, um, which would be south and west of here just a bit, sold for 19000 the other day, 120 acres. So obviously on those kind of prices, there's not much that returns right. But 
you know, on a $10,000 an acre piece of dirt up here, you're going to have to expect to get $300 an acre cash rent, you know? So, yeah. And there's well, been, in that, in that $300 an acre, that's pretty, I mean, it's common in that general area. Correct. Yeah. Unfortunately it's getting to be. Yeah. And you know, it's just crazy the way it, the way stuff fluctuates, but I'll say this ground price has been strong, but that cash rental fluctuate every three years with, um, wildly, um, it could go, you know, whenever, if we see crop prices drop, you know, from $7 corn to $3 corn, you know, it, it slides back down to 180 pretty quick. You know, it just doesn't, that's the one, that's the one thing that really can fluctuate. You know, a farm might have be a 3% return one year and I might be one and a half the next year. So it, it, you, you gotta be smart. And I do see some people in my line of work that, that will buy a farm based on a great cash rent and then either, you know, farmer moves out of an area or a major economic switch in the farm um, economy. And all of a sudden that farm doesn't return as well as what it as what you thought it might. So, you know, the premium farms are always fine because they're always in demand. But I see some of these people get hung on on marginal stuff that when when all you know, the, the tides are high, everybody's happy and paying a crazy amount. Well, or a, a strong amount. Well, whenever things turn, you can get hung on a on a marginal farm and some people just don't. They just don't realize that. And that's why dealing with a good agent that you can trust obviously makes a, a huge difference. Yeah, there, there's a lot of issues with that. Um, you know, we, we see it all, all too often where you might have a, a farmer operator selling a property and they'll guarantee a X amount of cash rent for the next three years. Well, guess what? Lo and behold, after that three years, you're, you're, you're correcting back down to the normal level. And so I, I just think you, you know, we always take our clients and, and treat them as more of an investment client. So we're, you know, doing our best to educate them and so forth, as opposed to just, you know, use car selling them something. So, uh, but anyways, you definitely have to know what you're looking at. And, uh, hopefully you have a good agent that knows what they're talking about because it could really bite you if you're not careful, especially with the guys that are, that are getting financing. Um, you know, they're always uh, at, at a higher risk than, than a lot of the guys with cash. So, uh, anyways, well, from from so your area, obviously, for those who don't know, and I'm talking about Holly Grove, and I don't know, I'm not, I don't know like the back of my hand, but but I do know that there's some cool um, variety to it. I just think whenever I was hunting with Ira's buddy and, and my friend Greg Sharan down in there, we hunted, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying it was all around Holly Grove, but in that area, in the general vicinity that vicinity that we hunted, we hunted there at Two Rivers, which was you know flooded timber and really a cool uh, setting. And then we, right. hunted, we hunted some, uh, we hunted Winkies there. We hunted some ag stuff. We hunted a couple different spots that were one spot that was like literally zero graded out, um, laser leveled. You know, I felt like I was hunting in the ocean. It was just a big old, you know, open expanse of water. Um, yeah. we, we hunted like a little slough type marsh, buck brush type stuff. So there's a lot of cool variety there. Kevin, kind of on the biology side of things in your area, up here, we got ducks mostly they're staying on a refuge and they're going out to eat, you know, they're, they're going out to feed and they're either staying on a, on a federal or state refuge or uh, one or two in every area, maybe big private landowner that can kind of provide their own refuge, but same premise. We got a lot of ducks that are eating moist soil here, flooded ag where they can and dry field. Down there, Robert, I know I saw you guys, you, you sent me a, a shot of a, a dry field not, you know, a while back. And it was just kind of cool that, you know, it's not something you see very often. But, Kevin, where are the ducks feeding? What does their diet consist of down in your part of the world? Is it, is it you know, you see them in the woods. Are they in the woods to eat primarily? Are they in there for cover? What, what do you think that your ducks that you're killing, what is their primary diet down there? Yeah, I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, uh, you know. One thing I'll, I'll bounce around a little bit is, is food, timber, that kind of thing is, um, you know, one thing we really watch is, is on pressure. Um, we deal with a lot of people that, you know, they want to hunt 60 days, but if they could understand that if they would only hunt 30 or 40, they're hunting and probably the numbers would be twice as good. Um, that's one thing I think a lot of people fail to, to realize. But as far as food, it really depends. Um, you know, I mean, if you have a block of woods, it's nothing but overcup acorns. I mean, uh, uh, you know, a duck can't swallow a big mature overcup. It just, you know, anatomically can't. Uh, but that doesn't mean that if it's managed and dried that there won't be invertebrates in it. So, you know, I'm not going to say that they're not in the woods feeding, especially early season. Uh, 
Um, but a lot of times they're there for refuge. Um, and I, I know Robert and I hunt together all the time. I know he'll second this. I mean, we, especially in the past three or four, you know, progressively every year, it seems like the duck hunting pressure is more and more and more and more, and it just keeps growing. And so we see, it feels like every year, sooner and sooner, the quicker you get in thickets, the better your hunting will be. They get hole shy quicker um, and that kind of thing. So, you know, we, we kill a lot more ducks in thicker habitat more consistently, I believe, than just in a perfect 320 block of timber. Um, those things are great. Um, I get to hunt them some, uh, absolutely nothing wrong with them. But I think day in, day out, um, and again, that goes back to what I mentioned to you guys earlier about Northeast Arkansas. I don't know how much you come through there, uh, but there's just not that many native mussel, swamp, slough, slashes, and that kind of thing up there. You get south of 40, there are. Um, and so, you know, those, those ducks, we have really been seeing just key into those native natural areas, really thick, um, invertebrates, native mussels, and that kind of thing. And, you know, one thing Robert said, like he does on his place, I mean, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a smorgasbord guy. I just do not believe in a monoculture system, whether the crop fails or just the ducks have a preference. It doesn't matter. Throw the buffet at them. They're going to like something. So on these on these big clubs, Ira and I hunted at Greenbrier one time and it was awesome the way they had it set up. And, you know, I know just folks that I follow along with on social media, the way they have their places set up, it, it's all different and it all varies. But, you know, I kind of thought, I kind of thought in my mind, the ducks were going to be like on that stuff you see on like a DU painting, like they were going to be in the the trees and the big, you know, hundred year old oaks and, and, but and they were, and I know those guys shoot them in that clean, open water, but it seemed like a lot of ducks that I've seen in some of those tracks down there are in, like you're saying, that thick, nasty stuff where if it was dry, it looked like where there'd be a deer bed in that, you know, like a thicket, if you will. Sure. It just, sure. just Absolutely. Well, I mean, if you look, and in, 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 so to be fair, I've never been to Greenbrier, so I have absolutely no clue, but some of those that have been flooded for 60 80 years now, year after year, start the flooding October 15th, uh, that kind of thing. It has converted, you know, very heavily to overcut, um, which certainly is not ideal. Um, you know, willow leaf oak, um, man, as, as much of that pin oak, that kind of thing as you can have. And if you get in those places that have been flooded 50, 60, 80 years, unless they have been carefully managed, you just don't have that much of it. And again, there is some food, especially early, um, you know, but it, where it's went straight over cup, exactly what you're saying you see is exactly what I'm saying we see. So, yeah, I want to touch on that too. A lot, you know, one of the things we're seeing with these larger clubs is they're starting to really focus on ag grounds around their woods. So, they're, I think they're starting to realize that their woods are more of a loafing area as opposed to a feeding area. So, what they're doing is a controlling the food by leaving rice or leaving corn immediately adjacent to these large tracts of oak. And, and you get the same effect like we do, you know, the, the ducks will essentially feed all night long and they're going to come back to that, that area to loaf during the day. So um, most of the ducks we kill in the woods right now are full of rice or full of corn. They're not full of acres by any means. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Um, so here, you know, there's conservation easement payments, whether it's through WRP or, or a multitude of, well, a couple of other programs. Uh, and in our particular part of the world where Joe and I are, a lot of that money has disappeared and been focused to other parts of the state and to certain size tracks in Missouri. Um, in Arkansas, is there still you know, like let's say around Holly Grove or the place where you guys do most of your stuff, is there still a reasonable chance of getting some of your uh, prior converted agricultural row crop stuff into uh, a conservation easement program? And what do those numbers generally look like in today's world down there if there is, is availability? So I'll, I'll hit on this and then Kevin can finish, but our issue right now is Arkansas still believe only gets $13 million for a WRE project uh, allocated across the state. It may change. It may have changed a little bit, but you know, our WRE payment per acre has gone up. I think it's around 3,200 an acre. 
So less WRE is getting enrolled now than it was, you know, a few years ago. And um, the biggest issue we've had with enrolling properties, we're trying to do that right now on two properties, is um, having large land ownership take up that entire allotment for a whole year. Uh, so we, you know, it's taken, I've got an, we've got a 900 acre place right on the White River. It's a perfect candidate for WRE. We've, we've tried to apply for that property for, I think we're going on seven years now. Uh, I think we're fine, finally going to be close to the top this year, but, but the only reason we haven't gotten in so far is just due to the fact that you've had a lot of large land ownership and they're taking, they're taking up the entire $13 million, um, you know, with one deal, um, the, the price so, breaker that, yeah, go ahead. So real quick, while we're talking about that and using exactly what you're talking about, then you start to run into your, your you know, max cap requirement on AGI's adjusted gross income. So what I don't understand, because you're talking about the same thing we're seeing in Missouri, where, you know, large tracks get, have preference points, you know, and, and I just don't, and, and in the boot heel, but, I just don't see how if you've got, you know, let's say 500 or 1,000 acres of row crop ground um, and you're wanting to get it into a conservation easement program like, you know, a perpetual WRP program, man, how are people getting around the AGI cap limits? Well, the, the old saying, you know, land rich, cash poor is, is pretty true for a lot of people. Um, you know, just because they own 5,000 acres doesn't mean they make $900,000 a year. A lot of these people that are putting properties in have, have inherited all this land. And quite frankly, they don't do anything for income currently. So they, they just, they get around those in, they, you know, they, they've inherited everything. So, you know, they, they can get around that $900,000 income rate. You know, that that's the yeah. thing, you know, Ira, you guys would have to have more considerations about that because I feel like the outside landowner or I'm sorry, the outside investor that's not making their living in the, on the farm. I feel like that makes a big difference. And I also feel like that's why you, and I could be wrong and I don't have to give anyone secrets away, but I also feel like that's why several of these farms are bought in LLCs and there's, everybody has different, you know, everyone seems to have different, larger farms will have multiple different corporations and things, you know, that kind of comprise what they're doing. And, and also, you know, I don't know how the adjusted gross income works on the farm side as far as with that requirement, but I'm assuming that's why you have folks that are, you know, you got your guys making a hundred thousand dollars a year that are driving around a million dollars in new equipment every year. I'm assuming because in order to stay compliant and able to be part of some of those programs, they've got to kind of do it that way. Well, there's all kinds of tricks that, that farmers and landowners have always used. I mean, if, if it's legal to do it, why wouldn't you do it? Um, but by the same token, um, you know, the AGI, um, when we apply for those things, even though we have a farm and a trust, you know, the trust owns an LLC. Well, that LLC, I have to fill out an AGI information for the LLC, for the trust, for the trust that owns the trust, and the individuals that are beneficiaries of that trust. So, uh, the IRS is is right on top of you, and if you don't, you know, if you're not careful with it, you know, they're going to figure it out before you ever get to that. Um, just having a good attorney involved is, is always helpful, but when it's all said and done, you're either going to, you know, you're either going to bypass that limitation or not. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a million dollars uh, for easement payments across the landscape on a state as big and as is natural resources is arkansas man that is not much money that, that gets gobbled up and you know it could be gobbled up on a single yeah. a single deal or, or just a you know. uh what about like other things are there other programs that people are using utilizing down there when it comes to uh you know conservation type programs to help offset out of cash or out of pocket cash well there's i mean there's crp equip all, I mean, conservation reserve programs, more of a, you know, a 10 or 15 year, you know, where they come in and plant trees and pay you for 10 or 15 years. A lot of folks are, are still using that. Um, you have EQIP. EQIP is uh, paying farmers to flood fields. 
um, during the uh, during the fall and winter months. So a lot of folk, a lot of farmers are applying for that money just to pay for their pump pumping cost. Um, Game and Fish even has a I don't really know a whole lot about it, but it's called the Rice Program where they're even paying landowners to uh, you know flood their fields and they'll they'll pay a set price for if you just want to flood your fields and they'll also pay an, a higher price if you allow the public to go out there and hunt it. So, so those are the only three or four programs that I'm aware of. So in your estimation, and I know this could take two hours and we don't have that time, Robert's got to roll off here in about 10 minutes, but um, give us, you know, Robert, Kevin, you guys are in the business in Arkansas. Um, there's been a lot of naysaying about all oh, the ducks are doing this or the ducks are doing that, but bottom line, and I know you guys can attest to this, there's still very good hunting in Arkansas. There's still very good habitat in Arkansas. This year proves that. But, uh, Robert, it seems like you guys always have good hunting or or usually have pretty strong hunting. Um, the state of Arkansas, the duck hunting state of Arkansas is fill in the blank. I would say it's as good as it's always been. You just have to be mobile. You have to have diversity. You have to have low pressure. Um, you know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of guys have shifted from buying one large chunk of land to buying multiple small places scattered around the state. And, and the longer I see and watch things evolve, I kind of think that's a better route to do it. I mean, we do it personally. Uh, we have places up North, we have places down South. We only hunt one farm in January and, you know, it just, it's all about pressure, food and the combination thereof. So I think being diversified in your in your hunting areas, uh, all of the above work. Kevin can touch on that some more. Yeah, I mean you you pretty well nailed it on the head. I mean just to kind of keep on the you know we've been talking a lot about WRP. You know that's um, there are a lot of good ones out there. If we're going to talk about you know Joe strictly killing ducks, uh, there's also a lot of them out there. Fantastic deer hunting, uh, but I've seen some put in by organizations and uh, a moisture unit put it on a sand hill, and it's like. You know, it doesn't even make any sense, but I mean, there does have to be some level of understanding and education if you're looking at these, those things in the summer. Of, you know, how's that thing going to play out in the winter and, and that kind of thing? But um, I'll wrap it. I mean, Robert nailed it on the head. Food and pressure. Um, I believe those are the two big ticket items um, and something you said earlier. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a negative Nancy. Rob will tell you I'm about the most optimistic, positive. Duck hunting is my deal. And um, I, I, I believe we're living in the good old days. It's a little bit frustrating to me to hear, oh, man, the good old. Well, I don't. I still see a lot of good old days. So, well, so if a guy, if a guy is is looking at buying a piece of property, and they were to they were to contact you guys, what I want to what I want to hit on is to end this out. Is I want to make sure that folks realize that, you know, I work with a lot of great real estate agents. I work with a lot of great brokerages throughout my job all over the place. But one thing I want to make sure to point out about y'all is that really differentiates you. I feel like somebody and you correct me if I'm wrong, but somebody could make a purchase. You could not only help them make that purchase, but also help them manage the property and manage the farming aspect, do all sorts of stuff with it. So you guys, if a guy was going to call you, we'll do one more fill in the blank, Mossy Oak Properties and then the Delta Land Management company what can you guys do and how can you assist someone that might be looking to make an investment in arkansas right, kevin won't you take that you take that kevin <laughs> well the 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 short is i mean we can help them before during and after the purchase so just like i mentioned the the wre um you know my goodness to my knowledge we have, have never even remotely come close to knowingly anyone wrong um, we try to help people i sent rob a text the other night a picture hit facebook of a guy standing there with his dad he had a picture a few weeks ago with his son and i sent that to rob and i said man that makes my year seeing those people so happy um and that kind of thing so we really focus on that we want them to get what they want and we've we've taken three and four years to find people what they want but we want them to get what they want so we can take the time we're in no hurry we'll, we'll help find the people what they want um and, and we can follow after that um you know I, robert does pretty much all of the farm management um i do the biology side i don't really do 
as much anymore simply because of time. Uh, but we have all the resources, whether they want to do mulching or my goodness, we have a guy that travels around and, you know, just mows roads and lanes and that kind of thing. So we can basically help someone from before, right when they want to start the process all the way until after the purchase and carry forward. And I feel like that, you know, to me, I feel like somebody that, that might not know the area. I mean, that might be something that, you know, it can be overwhelming moving to an area and you just feel like you don't know anybody and you wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, the, one of the one of the biggest deals with duck hunters these days is you, you got to have an open mind about where you want to be. Uh, you can't be specific to one area or another. We can tell you where the three or four good locations are going to be in this state, and then it might, like Kevin said, it might take two or three years to actually find the right property within that area. Um, I'm, I believe that you can help manage a place and make it better. But I'm I'm very skeptical still on creating something brand new in a completely different area. I just I don't know that you can bait it enough to make that working. Uh, uh, prove me wrong, but we still try to find those golden areas and try to put clients where they need to be to have success. From a management standpoint, I assume that you guys deal with the same things down there that we do here and. Joe's been really helpful. Uh, you know, a lot of people that like to duck hunt are to some degree an absentee landowner. And I'm sure you guys got beavers and everything else, but you know, we through nuisance trapping and, and paying people to check on things and do certain projects and all that stuff. There's a lot of work and a lot of money that goes into it, but if you're not there all the time, you know, you might, you might open up a, a flap gate or pull some boards and you think that everything's going to be the way you expect it to. And you come back and it drained for a half a night and the beavers plugged it up and uh, you, you know, you organized all this stuff to go down there and do a bunch of seeding or burning or spraying or whatever else. And it's still got two feet of water in it. You know uh, I think that there's just a whole, if a guy wants a good duck hunting place, there's a lot of time and effort and money that goes into it. And uh, I assume that y'all have the same concerns and issues down there. Yeah, I mean, somebody buying into that stuff, they just have to understand that, you know, and hopefully somebody buying into that, especially if they're semi-close where they can check on it, they enjoy the work, you know. And, and exactly to your point, this year um, on one of our places, the alternator went out on the diesel pump. So we literally made daily trips, three hours round trip, just to swap batteries every day for three weeks. Well, who would have anticipated that, you know? So um, you always have those challenges, but exactly what you said. I mean, ideally, whether you're an absentee or you're close, is to have somebody check. So we cut out there on Kevin. There's a storm actually pushing through here and knocked out the Wi-Fi. So we are finished up with Kevin and Robert. Really appreciate them coming on excellent guys and uh, there are a lot of great real estate agents and companies out there i'm fortunate to work with a bunch of them but if you've got your eye on a piece of property in their neck of the woods they're a great resource so we really appreciate them coming on we also appreciate everybody for listening and uh, make the most of what you have left the duck season because we'll all be waiting on it for another year and uh, the 60 days is all we get so good luck everybody have a good one